I did find, and I was kind of stunned that there was a survey of just Americans in general who say 86% of Americans say they have low self-confidence or self-esteem. And that was like eye-opening. Does that surprise you? That surprises me big time. That's funny because that doesn't surprise me at all. 86%? Yeah. Welcome to The Right Note, a podcast dedicated to the independent author. From the craft of storytelling to the business side of publication, we cover it all. I'm Jay Ryan Fenzel. And I'm Kira F. Jacobs. And this is The Right Note. There's a crisis in the writing community, a crisis of competence. But fear not, in this episode, we will help you get through it. Welcome back to The Right Note. Follow us on Instagram at The Right Note Podcast, subscribe to the show, and leave a nice review on podchaser.com. So this month's theme is confidence. Here, according to the Oxford Dictionary, confidence is defined as a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities, which is a, it's kind of a mouthful, but that's what we're going to roll with today. And uh, let's get into our Character is King segment. With Character is King, I'll just remind everybody, me and Kara will pick out a fictional character from a movie or film or poem, etc. And we'll describe why we feel they're amazing creations. And this month, the characters we pick out will embody confidence. And Kara, this month, I hand the baton to you. You go first. All right, I am taking the baton, and my pick for characters king is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. I think it's clear why I pick him. He is a character who honestly doesn't really have that much to offer in the beginning of the book or the beginning of the movie, if you've watched or read, but he shows confidence throughout the journey of taking the ring that they are trying to destroy to this mountain of lava Mordor and he he is very he's loyal and his loyalty to Frodo kind of makes him confident Sam has opportunity where he can he can leave Frodo kind of to do his thing and to risk it all but Sam chooses to go with him and in the end it's his confidence that really gets them to the end of the journey it's interesting you pick Samwise because when you first said it, I'm thinking confident, and I start thinking about the character and and, and his and the, the arc of his character throughout the the movies, and I think you're right because by the end he really is the reason Frodo got into Mount Doom. Yeah, and if he let if he let fear overtake him, he wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have got Frodo there. No, and and whenever Frodo got down and like felt defeated. He was the one who built him up. And he physically carried Frodo up the mountain. I mean, come on. He did. Great scene, by the way. I know. Tears running down my face every time I watch that scene. <laughs> no, nice pick, Kira. I like that. Samwise Ganji, Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. What is, what is your pick? My turn? Yeah. Well, my pick 
is kind of a hyper example of confidence. My pick is James Bond 007. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> now, I see, here's where I might have failed you as a parent, because I don't think you're a James Bond fan. I'm not. I, I know. I mean, I got you Star Wars. I got you Star Trek. I never got you into Bond, but eh, two out of three ain't bad. But with James Bond, he's an example where his, his skills that he's accumulated, his intelligence, his physical prowess, they all propel him into a into like a supreme confidence territory. He gets into these very difficult, somewhat impossible situations, and he never panics. He's saving the world, he gets the girl. I mean, who wouldn't be confident? But it's his ability, it's his belief in his abilities that lead him to be successful and be the hero of the movies. And I just think uh, if you're looking for a confident character, look for James Bond. Now, I'm not talking about the James Bond who was in the last movie, because whoever wrote that character didn't know James Bond. I like Daniel Craig. He was a good James Bond until the last movie. They totally changed his character. And I couldn't use him as an example of confidence if it was just based on that last movie. <laughs> I hate when they change writers in the middle of a series. They do that with Harry Potter, too. Like, why? Or not writers. I guess they change directors with Harry Potter, but. It's like stick with the same people. Anyway, that's a good pick. Even though I honestly don't think I've ever seen one single James Bond movie. I know the music. Yeah. <laughs> he used to play the music in the car. I know that music. Oh, yeah. it's uh, His theme song is one of the all-time classic movie theme songs. I'm going to pop that into this episode if I can. <laughs> when you said that, the only theme song that popped into my head was the Incredibles theme. I don't know why. I, I, I can't answer that either. <laughs> but those are our picks for um, Characters King, James Bond and Samwise Ganshi. Paragons of confidence. Okay, so we segue now into the main topic. And I guess I can sum it up by asking, and this is for every writer listening, are you confident in your writing. I did some research to try and get some numbers to kind of back up the uh, the, the talking points and, and, and the points I'm trying to get here. I did find, and I was kind of stunned, that there was a survey of just Americans in general who say 86% of Americans say they have low self-confidence or self-esteem. And that was like eye-opening. Does that surprise you? That surprises me. Big time. That's funny because that doesn't surprise me at all. 86%? Yeah. I mean, an, an artist being who we are, that number is probably higher in our ranks, right? Yeah. It's probably higher than 86% who, who have kind of a, a self-confidence issue. I mean, you can ask a writer about his love and his passion for his craft and he'll, he can go on or she can go on and on about how much they love writing and the passion they have and the stories that are in them, where did it come out, you know? But as soon as you say, well, what's your confidence level in your work? I think that answer comes a little slower. Or even when they ask, oh, what's your book about? And you immediately clam up and don't know what to say because you don't have the confidence to explain it, you know? Right, right. Because you feel like you it's all this fantastic story in your head, but you feel your, your words are just going to not do it justice. So 
that's a that's a hurdle. And and again, you know, going back to the artist thing, uh, and I wish I could remember who who said this. There was some recent thing on Instagram, and there was a an artist, sculptor, painter, something. I forget who she was, and she said something like uh, a message to all artists: you don't pay attention to critics and don't let them tear you down. Because being artist, we have enough low self esteem that we're going to self destruct anyway. You know? Yeah. And, it, and she was kind of trying to make a joke about it, but there's some truth in every every good joke. There's a kernel of truth. I mean, confidence is not something you wake up with one day. It's it's not something that's innate in most people, I would say. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's something you have to build one piece at a time, like you're, you're laying blocks in a foundation to build a solid house, right? And And with this episode, I was hoping that maybe we can step through some of the the ways you can build confidence in in your writing, and uh, and get a, a more stable footing, right? Hmm. Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, where would you place yourself in your confidence with your own writing? My writing. Yeah. One would be no confidence. Ten would be the best confidence. I think that my answer fluctuates. On a given day. Yeah. And, and I think you might agree with this, but some days I think I'm, I'm pretty, I'm eight or nine. I'm pretty confident. I, you, know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And other days for whatever reason, you know, and maybe it's maybe, I, I really can't say what, what, what does it, but then I can drop it down to a four or five. Yeah. And it's hard to explain why it, it can't be consistent, although some of the things we're going to talk about might get into that a little bit. But let's turn back around to, to you, uh, Kira. What would you say your confidence level is in your writing, a one to 10? I think it's similar to what you said, but I've noticed that my, com- my confidence level is higher when I'm, at, when I'm sitting down writing, when I'm actually doing it. I'm like, oh, this is good. You know, I'm enjoying the scene and it's flowing and I like the dialogue and all that stuff. And I'm like, yes, this is great. And then I'm done and I'm happy. And then the next day I'm thinking when I'm thinking about my writing, I'm like, no, this is horrible. (laughs) And I think you just think yourself into a low point. And I think it's great to, you know, to think about how you can change things to make it better, but I don't, it shouldn't affect your confidence overall, but it does. So I'm similar. I think my confidence is, I don't know, an eight when I'm writing. And then when I'm thinking about it, I can get to the point where I'm like, I shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> so I let my confidence <laughs> get pretty low. That's kind of extreme. <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very all in or all out person. I just told Hayden, my husband, this the other day, like I either think I'm really good or I'm really bad. I don't really have an in-between. I'm not an in-between kind of person. <laughs> well, I think part of, like, like when you're writing and you're like, you're in the zone right? and you're in the scene and you're just, your characters are clicking and what you're, what you're writing at that moment just seems fantastic. And then you wake up the next morning and you'll read it and you go, that isn't as fantastic as I remembered it. It may not be garbage, but I mean, part of that euphoric feeling of writing, I think is, is kind of your creative process exploding, you know, in your head as you're doing it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I totally, totally hear you. And, and I think a lot of people feel the same way too, you know, and it's always that dreaded, like you said, that question of, well, what's your story about? 
And I mean, you know it backward and forward, but oh, I hate that. Something about sharing your story with someone for the first time, then it all the, the doubts start coming in, like, well, maybe this isn't as good as I think it is. So we're gonna talk about some ways to perhaps build confidence up. And the first obvious thing that I had thought of is uh, building knowledge about your subject or or your topic or whatever you're writing about. I mean, there's that old axiom of write what you know. Yeah. There's there's some truth in that, but then there's also like someone turned that around. I forget which author said this and says, I'd rather say they know what you write. You know, and I and I look at that as just do your research, talk to people, understand and get a feel for it. And you can you can write it authentically. I also think if you're trying to write in a genre that you don't read, that I think that affects your confidence level as well because you're not well versed in that genre. So like even a personal, like a personal thing, I would love to one day write like a really awesome murder mystery. I don't read that all the time or enough for me to feel confident to write that genre yet in my writing career. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that makes sense. But in some genres, it's harder than others. Like like your example, like I think you can pull off a murder mystery uh, easier than someone who writes murder mysteries decides to jump into a fantasy realm. And try to rip off a fantasy or, or rip off. I'm not, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> to, to write some brutal wording there. <laughs> right. a fantasy novel, and they've never, they don't really read it. So yeah, there are certain certain uh, tropes. Isn't a bad word, but there are certain tropes that people love to read in genres. There are things about world building you need to know, and so yeah, uh, to just jump in there, it'll be obvious to whoever reads it if they're a fantasy reader, that this person hasn't done it. So know what you're right. Yeah. I think another point is try to cultivate an ability to honestly assess your own work. I mean, honestly assess it. And I say that there's value in assessing your work against other works, esteemed or accepted work. And and then there's another school of thought that says, oh, don't do that to yourself. Don't don't consider don't compare yourself to author X, you know, Stephen King or or J.R. Tolkien, because all you're gonna do is get depressed. And I, I don't look at it that way. I, I look at it as look, these guys know what they're doing and they know how to do characters and structures and stories and world building. And if I can learn something from them, you learn things from your favorite authors. You're not stealing from them. You're learning craft. Yeah, I think I think it's good to learn from them and to, you know, obviously writing style changes as you as time goes on too. So like how things are written back then are different. So you don't want to like exactly be like, oh, my style is different than theirs. So it must mean that mine is bad. That's not true. So I think it's good to compare your you're writing to books that have come out in the last like two to five years, you know, to see where you gauge it. But yeah, it's hard because you don't want to say, you know, my, my writing is, you know, this book is just like Harry Potter. You're, you're going to love it because that's probably not true. Right. But you could say, Oh, do you like Harry Potter? Then you might like this book. It's a give and take. You're right. There's a subtle difference to that. And they call them comping. You're comping your book to something Mm -hmm. like, Descending from Nudity was my first book, right? It was a submarine thriller and the Secret Service were involved in it, whatever. And I guess the count for that was 
like uh, the Hunt for Red October meets In the Line of Duty, which was a, a movie about Secret Service guys at the time. And I think one of the funniest ones, though, was something your mom came up with. Oh, no. <laughs> your brother came up with about Inherit All Things. Because, you know, Inherit All Things was a treasure hunt, you know, piece together clues from historical puzzle, what have you. <laughs> she said, and she, she doesn't remember saying this, and she was joking. But she says it was like... Uh, it was like National Treasure 1 beats National Treasure 2. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it was, a funny, it was a funny joke. <laughs> but that's a good thing to point out, like comps, because if you are a writer and you are pursuing traditional publishing and you are querying and all that kind of stuff, they expect you to put comps in your submissions and they specifically want you to compare your writing to books that have, you know, come out in the last two to five years. That's just kind of just so they know that you're reading and that you're aware and have researched your genre and that you know your audience. Comps are a very quick way for the, you know, the 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 agent or whoever publisher. Okay, I understand what your book's about, right? Because I know this mm -hmm. and I know this. And then you mix them together and ooh, there we go. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that that's another good one. So another point to kind of help you build that confidence up. And this is a hard one for a lot of authors. Right? So you you write your story and it and then you're done and you're the only one who's read it. So you need you need feedback. You do. So you give yeah, so you give your story to a beta reader. And and what's crucial with this is you you need to have a beta reader who will give you honest and constructive feedback, right? You don't want someone to say that was just fantastic, Kira. Everything you wrote was flawless. Because that's not true. <laughs> well, nobody writes perfect, especially first drafts. Oh, yeah, no. And I don't think you should give your first draft to betas either. Well, you know, uh, second whatever draft, you've gone through it and you get it to a point where you're ready to give it to someone. Yeah. And I think, too, like I have, a, I feel like I have a lot to say about betas because you need to make sure you trust these people. I've seen something that has become a thing in the bookish community, like on social media. People who have written novels will go on their social media and say, oh, there's a link in my bio. Sign up if you want to be a beta reader. I'm like, so you're letting people you don't know just like read. And I'm against that. I've seen a lot of people do that. And I'm actually very against that because, A, people have a ton of different personalities, which are going to clash. And they're going to give you so many different feedback when you're literally sending your book to 20 people. You need people that you trust and that know your genre, that know you, that know what your goal is for the book. Like you need to be selective in your betas. You need betas, but you need to be selective. Yeah, and I think with that, with what this person does or whoever sends out, you know, hey, I want beta readers. So you might get 20 people from all over the place and you might get 20 different aspects of 20 different directions from 20 different people. And what you end up doing is, you know, you might try to make everybody happy and you'll lose sight of yourself in your story. What your original thought was. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's. And it tanks your confidence. That, it, really it, it could. It really could. When you don't trust your betas. Yeah. Right. Imagine. Imagine like trying to fix all these things according to 20 different people. And then after, you know, a month of revising your book, it, it's like garbage because. And then, yeah, like you said, it tanks your confidence. So select trusted beta readers. And make sure you do. I know people who don't do beta readers too. And I'm, and that makes me a little sick because if you're the only person who has read your book and then you decide to self-publish it, I mean, that's your choice, but did you do the best you could, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, that, it's hard. It's not easy. Like I said, I've got, I've got 
two or three beta readers for my stuff. And I get something different from each one of them, but they're all honest. You know, they're not afraid to tell me at this point, after what, 15 years, they ain't afraid to tell me what's not working for them. Yeah. And I think it's funny. A lot of people, I've heard a lot of professionals, you know, like agents or publishers say, don't have your beta readers be your family because they'll only tell you what you want to hear. And you know, that's not true. <laughs> we both have, have mom read, read our books. And, but that's why I, I can appreciate that. She will tell you when something is wrong or she likes something, you know, I like, I trust her. She, it's not like, oh, she's my mom. So she knows that, you know, I know that she's going to love it because she'll tell you if she doesn't. Well, you yeah, know, it's, <laughs> it's good that she can be as critical as she can be because when she does say something that's praiseworthy, you know, that it's an honest praise. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Uncle Brian. Once again, he makes our podcast, but he is my bait. You know, my we need to have him on here. I, I don't know if that's safe, <laughs> but no, he, he is honest about his appraisals too. You know, and, and I'll get surprisingly, I'll get insightful character uh, notes from him. I will uh, solicit maybe tactical information from him for certain scenes, mm-hmm. whatever. So, yeah, beta readers are very important. But then, okay, so then we move into areas that are um, a little more out of your control, but they also really work to, to build your confidence. And a big one is acknowledgement of your work by an objective person in the, uh, in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And for me, my first kind of acknowledgement was when I, I started out writing short stories and I'd submit them to like regional magazines. This is back when they actually printed magazines still and put them on newsstands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think I wrote like six short stories with two different detective characters. And I managed to get five of those stories into little regional magazines, you know, and each one that got accepted was like the editor read it and they liked it and they told me they wanted to put it, you know, and that, that just like, Mm -hmm. it was, it may have been just a fairly unknown publication in a small market or whatever it was. It was somebody in that industry who said, Hey, you did good work. And you just had the same thing happening with uh, your poem. My poem. Yeah. That was my first ever that got accepted like by somebody else. But wasn't that awesome though? That feeling? Oh yeah. That was great. I'm still proud of it. (laughs) Great confidence builder, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And that kind of dovetails into the next thing. It's like just general success. And this this is a a Captain Obvious thing. But yeah, if you start getting wide acceptance of your work, that's one of the easiest ways to build your confidence. But here's one that's maybe unexpected. You can actually build confidence from rejection. Yeah. Uh, I, I can explain this. No, I get it. (laughs) When I was querying my short stories to all these magazines, there was one called Ellery Queen, which was like, it's been around forever. I think it's still out. It was kind of like the pinnacle of mystery magazines around, right? It was was prestigious for, for that. And I sent one of my stories and it got rejected, but the rejection letter was very good. And I wanted to have it with me here tonight. I didn't dig it out, but it more or less said, Hey, uh, please send us more of your work. We're not going to, we can't use it in this issue, but please send us more. Yeah. And that told me I was that close to getting in that magazine, you know? Yeah. And I, I still have it up in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. It's nice when you get a rejection that has like 
specific feedback, you know, because you don't really get that a lot. You normally either get a form rejection or just a simple no thank you, you know. Good luck with your work and your future endeavors and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're, we're hoping the best for your book. I'm like, no, you're not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I got, I got a query rejection. I think it was like a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. That was when I was querying for Fletcher before I decided to self-publish. And the agent pretty much said, I'm not going to take this one, but please query me in the future. So that stuff does give you confidence because it just, it just does, you know? Right. Cause uh, she, cause she didn't have to say that. She could have just said, well, thank you. Right. She could have said copy paste. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate your submission. Good luck. So it's nice when they say, Hey, you know, you can come at us again. Yeah. You know, and it reminds me of in a more general sense, and I hate to use the word failure because doesn't mean you failed in a story if it doesn't get published, but just for illustrative purposes, you can learn from failure. It reminds me, linking back to the National Treasure thing again, there's a scene. If you're, I'm sensing a theme here. Do you, do you remember when um, Nicolas Cage's character was talking about Edison's light bulb? And, uh, oh, and he says, I, he, goes, he didn't fail. He didn't fail 200 times to make a light bulb. He found 200 ways how not to make a light bulb. How not to make a light bulb. Yeah. Right. So I remember that. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a, a different way of looking at it. He didn't look at it as failure. He was learning each time he learned how to get closer to his end goal. And, and it's a similar thing, I think, with, with writing as you, we refine our work and you go from, you go from the kids escaping Mexico, Kira, to oh, Hickory God. Ridge, to, Fletcher to the Smith's Quill, and each step you're taking these big leaps. I did write one in between that, <laughs> but we're going to shelve that one. Anyway, yes, you have to keep writing and honestly writing junky stuff to get better. Like you can't, you're not going to write the perfect thing right away. It's like a career. You have to build, you build your career, you build your writing, you know, it's just got to get the junk out. Right. No, it, it's... Yeah, there's no magic elixir. There's no special class. There's no wave your hand and you're perfect at it, right? Now, there, there, there is a downside to, to a certain kind of confidence too, though. And this would be false confidence. And, and there's a lot of ways, I guess, you can come by it. But I guess believing in your work based on, not based on any solid, like all the things we've just talked about, you know, and then you can say, well, where, where might this come from? Well, if you get some ill-advised praise from some well-meaning people, and we, we kind of use the example of families and how you know, they only give your, their kids good praise or whatever, or, their, or friends who are afraid to hurt your feelings, you might buy into that and think you've got a masterpiece on your hands, but in reality, it's not, you know, and it yeah. just... And that can be detrimental to developing your craft, developing your... your, your uh, your writing ability, your storytelling ability. And I think kind of on the opposite end too, if you're unwilling to get feedback from people because you're like, oh, it's just, it's it's so good. That doesn't, you know, I don't need the feedback. I, I know it's good. I'm confident that it's good. That is detrimental as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know what I want my story to say. You know, these people are going to, it's their opinion. True. But, and, and, and that's another thing I, when I'm, getting my feedback from my beta readers. One of them, Uncle John, he'll he'll pick things up in the in the book 
in the story, either either like character actions or motivations or dialogue or something. And he'll pick something up that I did not intend to be picked up. Like mm-hmm. I would sit back and say, John, that's not at all what I meant. And you know, and at first it's like, oh yeah, well, I'm just gonna ignore that. But then if you you gotta think about it, say, look, if if this person interpreted what I wrote this way, odds are he's not going to be the only one who sees it that way. Yeah. And if that's not what I want to to project in the story, then I better think of doing it another way. That The same thing happened to me with the book that I'm querying now. Mom had r- wrote a comment next to one of the sentences and she said, I don't know what this means. And in my head, I was like, come on, everyone knows what that means. <laughs> then my, my other beta reader, one of my best friends, and she's a writer too. She said the exact same thing. She said, I don't know what this means. And I was like, well, darn, then I must be wrong, you know? So that's why you need people to look over your stuff because you might you might think a phrase that you use makes sense when really it just doesn't. And you need to be told that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and you got to like, and again, it goes back to having trustworthy beta readers. If you trust them, then you know they're being honest and you got to you got to consider what they're saying you know is constructive criticism so i think we've solved the world problems concerning confidence today right you should never have a confidence problem again after listening to this podcast that that 86% number should come down to about 70 i think after this podcast gets posted yes also don't compare yourself to other writers on social media you aren't them That's my other tidbit. Elaborate on that, please. If you spend all your time on social media looking at other people's lives and other people's writing journey and their successes, you're going to compare yourself to them subconsciously, even if you don't mean to, but your journey is not theirs and you're only seeing the good part of their journey and it will lower your confidence. So take some time off social media. I set a personal timer on my phone for my social media so that I'm only on it a certain amount of minutes a day. And that helps me. I think I've noticed that because sometimes I try to get a hold of you and I don't hear back for hours. And I think it's during your downtime. <laughs> on my phone? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're taking care of Josiah, that's totally okay. I actively try to stay off my phone. I don't want my nose in my phone all day, you know? I don't want my kid to see me doing that either. No, no, no. That's because good. it's and, so and- easy to do that. I applaud your effort. It's just frustrating sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. But do you ever think about way back when, when we didn't have cell phones, you had to call somebody when they were at home to get them. Isn't that just weird? And people had less mental health issues than that is all I got to say. Yeah, and we had they had a cord connected to the phone, and you had to stay within six feet of the wall. And when the power went out, you couldn't call anyone. No, you could. Phone you still worked. Call- no, do you remember calling yeah. the house Landline phone? Landline still worked. Jeez, you are. No, kid. listen, 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 listen. <laughs> do you remember calling, calling the the house phone when we were out? If our power was out, and if it went to the voicemail, we were like, "Oh, the power's back on." Yes, that was that was one good thing about. It. But that was a that wasn't a lamp. like a cordless phone. That was a cordless phone. Yeah, with a wireless and it needed power to work. Just old fashioned, just wires into the house. Yeah, wire power. It. <clears throat> You're young. You can't tell <laughs> me when the power went out. You could use a phone that was connected to the wall via a plug. If you watch, as an example, if you watch 
a really old sitcom from the 60s, like Green Acres or whatever. And you'd see them pick it up and they'd turn a little crank and they'd call and talk. Okay, you're going way back. <laughs> anyway, I'm pretty certain that's how it was. I don't think my memory's that bad. So, hey, that's our that's our episode on confidence. And uh, like you get, if you like what you hear, uh, we would appreciate a, uh, a little re- review on podchaser.com. And follow us on Instagram at The Right Note Podcast. And as always, keep your pen to the page and write on. <laughs>